Kia ora and um, hope you're doing good. This is Pip Adam and welcome to episode 74 of Better Off Red which is the second um, part of our 10 part sound series um, where I talk to writers and artists about their work in relation to sounds they have chosen. So on this episode I am talking to Ruby Soli and Chris Tease which is very exciting. Um, we had such a great conversation, it was so great. Um, they will introduce themselves when I stop talking um, so you'll get to know them um, straight away. Um, I asked, um, with all these episodes, I ask the people that I talk to to um, bring along a sound object of some sort. So um, in this episode, Ruby has chosen Coco, which is um, an, a track of her amazing album, Poor Nikki, um, which you can um, buy and listen to on Bandcamp. Um, there is a link for that on our um website which is better-red.com better-red.com red is r-e-a-d i just realized i should probably say that more often um so you can um, find a link um to uh ruby's track on that website um you can buy it on bandcamp I just thought I'd say that quite a few of the um people that are talking on this series have got bandcamp um accounts and yeah you can buy tracks um one by one or you can buy whole albums and yeah i'd highly recommend you do that yay yay support people making beautiful things um chris um chose um the sound of washing rice and um he recorded that for us and you can listen to that it'll be on the podcast that recording and also there's a um you can there's a link to um, that recording of Chris Washing Rice on our website as well. So um, that's how you can listen to everything. Um, and again, I'm very grateful to Creative New Zealand, Toy Paul Nikki. Oh no, that's where we recorded it. We recorded <laughs> Toy Paul Nikki. Um, Creative New Zealand is actually Toy Aotearoa. So thank you very much um, for your support in making the podcast. Um, we really appreciate it. If you stay listening at the end, you will hear the exercise um, that we have associated with this recording, um, with this particular episode. Sorry, I keep laughing at myself because I try to make things sound important um, so the exercise um, you can listen to at the end now at the end of all these episodes um, I'm hoping to um, collate uh, a showcase of responses to these exercises um, now I've got information about where you can send those recordings if you are willing um, to have them shared in that final episode. Um, I have an email address which is betterreadnz at gmail.com, betterreadnz at gmail.com. Um, there's information about ways that you can send those files if they're big um, there on our website as well. So yeah, um, that is all the information I think I have for you today. Oh, except... I'm still very grateful to be at the Michael King Writers' Centre in Auckland, in Devonport. So yeah, it's really lovely to have a little space where I can record these introductions and edit these um, podcasts together. So yeah, thank you Creative New Zealand. Thank you um, Michael King um, Writers' Centre. Um, and thank you Ruby and Chris and everybody amazing. So thanks heaps.
Okay, here we are. Thank you so much for coming, Chris and Ruby. It's awesome to have you both here. And I was wondering if we could start by you introducing yourselves. So I don't know if either of you have a sense that you want to begin, or I could ask somebody. <laughs> we both we both just pointed to each other for to give a visual, and then I took the passive role. Um, Ah, ko Auraki Timoka, ko Waihautiawa, ko Takitimutiwaka, ko Kaitahurawa, ko Waitaha, oku iwi, ko Katihurapa, toku hapu, ko Waihau, toku marae, uh, ko Ruby mei Hinipunu e Soli, toku ekoa. So I'm Ruby and um, I live in Wellington now, um, but I'm from um, Kaitahu and Waitaha, but I grew up in the kind of central, central north, like Whakapapa and Turangi, Taupo, Rasua for a bit. Yeah, and I always find it very difficult to say what I do. <laughs> but I I trained as a music therapist, so I do that during the daytime a few days a week, working with, at the moment, mostly special needs teenagers and children, and also do a bit of kind of prison work and mental health-based um, work. But I also am a writer and a musician, mostly working in kind of taonga at the moment, which are traditional... Māori musical instruments that I've also used within healthcare and which is what I do as well. But I also write poetry and mostly personal essays, I guess. Yeah. Kia ora, my name is Chris Teese. I'm a writer based in Wellington. I grew up in Nalahat. I write mostly poetry, but I also dabble in a bit of non-fiction. I'm also an editor. I'm working on an anthology of queer New Zealand writers at the moment with Emma Barnes, and I have just... Uh, picked up the gig of editing the spin-off's Friday poem, which I'll be starting at the end of July. That is so great, Chris. Congratulations. And also, congratulations to us, because that will be amazing. Thank you so much. Now, um, you both generously um, supplied two sort of sound objects um, for the podcast, and I wonder if the next thing we could do is just ask if you could introduce those. So if you could maybe talk... You could talk about like why you chose them, but also like anything you want to tell us about those those sound objects. And should we start with Chris? So we'll yeah, would that be okay? So when you approached me, I was thinking, what can I uh, bring to the podcast? And I thought, oh, maybe I could like grab a um, few bars from like a favorite song or something. But then the more I thought about it, I have been writing a lot about um, family and Chinese. Uh, sort of heritage stuff recently and the sound that I've um, chosen is the sound of rice being washed.
which for me brings back a lot of memories about being in the kitchen with my parents and my grandmother and it was one of the first things that I was tasked with doing um, in the kitchen as a kid um, so washing the rice uh, for each meal and it really I guess sums up sort of those sort of food memories that I have with you know my family and um, how the rice is you know the, the center of every Chinese meal and and what it, and what it means. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really loved listening to it, which we will talk about in a minute. Um, <laughs> Ruby, do you want to talk about the sound object you chose? Yeah, I really struggled with this. It's so funny. I think when you work in a medium a lot, when you're asked to grab one thing from that medium, it can be a real struggle. But um, I decided to go with a track off an album I've released recently. The album's called Pornicky, and it works with recording... Um, I recorded Taungapuro in different locations around Wellington, kind of looking at the historical present and kind of future soundscapes that were there, and then layered it up with cello in a studio at home. And this one I chose for this uh, track's called Koko, which is one of the sounds of the ruru or the mōpōk, and also the name for the male bird. Um, I recorded in Aro Valley because it's on me and Pip's street, and I thought that was a nice touch. And also tying in with Chris's sound as well. Coco was the name of my, oh, I've got to figure out some, some Pākehā terms, some great-greats. <laughs> my tūpuna, tūpuna tawa, like my, um, one of my great-great-grandmother, I think. Yeah, who was, we don't know a whole lot around, like the Pūrako around her name, where that came from. But um, yeah, she was named Coco, and possibly from like the bird being called. So it's, yeah, recorded at my house with a, with a, a ruru that lives on our street, yeah. It's so cool. I love, I love that that owl is famous now. Yeah, there's also this very famous tui in Apuni Street who lives at our house and his name's Big Boy. And he like, we have one of those strawberry trees, a dogwood tree, and he will, he basically is like in charge of them. He puffs up to look like a, a sky chicken. And he will throw them at you if you get too close to them, like he will pull them off. And he... He's in a few of the recordings, and I also did a thing for Karen's House, that kids' TV show that was on during lockdown, and he's right in the recording. He's like, yeah, yeah. 
like going off the whole time and they were like the producers were like we love it we love it it's so it's so in line with what you're doing and so he was on tv so he's been on tv in rnz and he's like probably the most famous to at least in Idle valley yeah so funny <laughs> at least in at least. Maybe the wider Wellington region. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my gosh. So I was really excited about these two sounds and how they kind of, um, yeah, how they sort of, like, thank you so much for offering them because they sort of sit in an interesting way together in my mind now. And I really, really like that. I was wondering, um, if we if we go to sort of the quality of the sound that you bought, Chris, and I was thinking, um, is that a sound that you've tried to put into words before? I've started writing a poem about, it was called Ode to Food Courts because my parents owned um, several like, restaurants and takeaway outlets as I was growing up. So I, I pretty much grew up in kitchens, um, both like at um, my grandma's house and uh, in these commercial kitchens. So I have this real affinity for food courts and and being in a sort of a really high pressure, busy environment to do with food and cooking. So I was trying to write this poem about food courts and all those different sort of memories and um, those senses, but it just never quite came together. So it's not a, it's kind of something that I've tried to write down in words, but never quite got to capturing what it means, mm. yeah. Because it was interesting that like, when I was listening to it, I was it was having an effect on my oh this will sound so weird sorry I'm going to speak weird words because I don't know how to talk about sound at all but it did something inside my body there's something about the pitchiness like it's it, it's got quite high noises in it eh it was literally recorded on my phone like. <laughs> And ten minutes before I went for work, went to work because I, I was like, damn it, I need to record that sound for Pip. Um, <laughs> so I basically put the phone next to the sink and then did what I would normally do. And like I said to you, I, you know, I, the recording's quite long because I kind of actually got into the <laughs> that sort of zone of just um, washing the rice. Because for me, even though it's a pretty simple task, it's really important because you know when you're cooking rice, you don't want to mess up you've got to measure it carefully you've got to um, wash it and then you know make sure you don't tip it down the drain when you're rinsing it out and then you've got to get the right water um, in, into the the rice cooker so it's it's for me it's a really meditative sort of um, act and it for me it slows me down at the end of the day like if I, if I come home and I'm going to start you know getting ready to cook dinner washing the rice is actually sort of gets me into that frame of mind and sort of I chill out a bit because we even I think you even talked about it being slightly ASMR ish yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely got that feeling I well. get it I mean I was sort of like holding the pot right up to the phone and like deliberately <laughs> pouring the rice in and then like swishing it around it was just yeah it was so great and um I don't know how to segue into this Ruby but I think you know this is what I find interesting about both of them is they're Okay, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna be very, very um, toey about this, but no, you are. You're not toey. You're fine. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um, I, the to me, it feels like that your piece has voices in it. Like there's the bird voice, and there's also the voice of the tonga portal. And I wonder what it means to make to to represent this voice when we don't have access to meaning if you know what I mean like I know that's a really deep you know but 
because it feels like it when I listen to both these sounds it feels like it the absence of words that I can understand means that I can access it in a slightly different way which is very exciting for me yeah I like having different kind of levels of levels of consumption sounds like it's something you die of in 1800 <laughs> but like having different levels that you can consume something so there's kind of that sonic level on the top where people who might not have that extra understanding of it can listen to it and be like oh yes there are three parts here having a conversation I understand this musically I can see a purpose that I could listen to it and then there's kind of like in Te Māori there might be people who could kind of see that kind of idea of I think it's called Vega time and other people's kind of traditions where kind of you know the past and the present and the future are all kind of existing in this one space and I think through sound you can really hear that whether it's through visual it's kind of a lot harder because you'd need to have somebody like hanging out doing you know something really old school and someone else hanging out doing something really roboty. <laughs> but in, in sound you can really hear that like you know you can hear like there's another track which is kind of silly for me to mention something that's not the sound but I think it's easier to tell what's going on with it um on top of um Mount Victoria that has like pukaya so these big kind of signaling like trombone kind of sounding things but then there's also like an aeroplane and then there's also birds you know there's this very kind of ancient and new that kind of we are ancient we are new kind of idea within it so I think there's multiple levels people can have something and then like that final kind of level like the deepest level is the level where it's just for me and people who are from me or I am from which I think is really nice because it was really beautiful playing that piece I did I think I did like a pantograph punch live thing over lockdown and my cousin was listening and she was like was named after our our tupuna and her daughter is named Coco as well and so she was talking about how nice it was to like hear that a poem being read about where we come from and having all those sounds in there in a way she's kind of in there as well because we have like the Ruru has a lot of really interesting kind of mythology around it as being like there's some thoughts that like the Ruru wasn't brought down from like the heavens or like wasn't a child of Tani it was actually came from Rarohinga came from like the the underworld sort of thing and was it was tasked with taking somebody back up to to the world and was then trapped here and then there's also like Kaitahu Purako around famous Tohunga when they died would often come back as Ludu at important times and so there's this real kind of ancestral thing of that kind of this timeless bird that kind of pop in and out and represent people and have there's like a whole range of different omens around them and yeah so it's cool having those multiple levels but at the end of the day like someone can listen to it sonically and enjoy it but if they want to go further they can I think it's yeah it's good to have those levels of accessibility almost I guess. yeah it's a really interesting idea because I think that um like sorry I'm going to move in between um forms but I think poetry can be a bit like that as well can't it like you know sometimes we're offering people different um, entry points in poetry as well, eh? which I think is really interesting because you both also do that. Um, it occurs to me as well that both of you have done work with music and words. Like I was thinking, show ponies, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I and I'm wondering what does that do? Like, do you have any thoughts about either what that experience was like or? 
um, like I feel like you've just given an amazing you know example of it where the words can lay over the top of the sound but yeah I don't know like what, what was that experience at Show Ponies? So I didn't actually have any music connected to my Show Ponies pieces um, but a few of us did and I've always I've never really sort of gone down the route of trying to find music to go with my own poetry I've had some people create soundtracks and soundscapes to go with my poetry which has been really interesting from I guess from a collaborative process because you kind of see how other people interpret your work in a very sort of different medium and um, bringing in all sorts of different sort of um, yeah, layers and meanings to it as well I do however associate some of my work with very specific songs and because they, because those songs represent the memories or the the events that I'm writing about, so I will attach a song or or some sort of sound to that poem or that sort of book because um that's what was in my head when I wrote it, but that doesn't necessarily translate on the page, and it's just something that's sort of sitting there for me as as the writer. I think yeah, I've just read um, He's So Mask actually, because like I came out of this year where I only read books by Maori authors, and now I'm like I can consume things again, <laughs> and so that was one of my recent reads. And yeah, it's populated with so many kind of songs and music artists, and I really like that. And it made me think, kind of like in a queer context, about how sometimes certain songs or certain artists are like a code. Like especially when you're a teenager, there's kind of this part where it's like, yeah, I'm into this. Are you into this? And like you can really feel that in that book, and I really. It was this beautiful nostalgic journey of being like, oh man, yeah, we totally used music as this weird code, which is something that even in other cultures like, is quite a common thing to use music as code and how, how beautiful that is. Because when I was in high school, I never really felt that anyone in my year or my you know, friend group got the sort of music that I liked and I you know, wanted to talk about. So it wasn't, you know, the internet helped with that because I suddenly found forums and chat boards and stuff of people that, you know, were into the same sort of stuff. So that became an outlet for being able to connect and discuss these things that we, we shared. And then, you know, getting to university and your whole world opens up and you meet so many other different people and then suddenly it's like, wait, you like Tori Amos too? Oh my God, I thought I was the only one. So I was like, I was only gay in the village. You know, <laughs> actually, there's quite a few of us. <laughs> Yeah, the gay lower hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know those little those little yeah codes to sort of form those connections. Yeah. And like those th- those codes kind of um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like it's really interesting as well because when those are inbuilt into the poetry, that is also um, you know that that this connotation. And I wonder, I. I keep thinking about collaboration and how you collaborate with the, you know, the the birds and the, you know, like the this huge kind of like, um, well, with Tipuna and you know, like it is kind of a collaborative, yeah, 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 and like, yeah. Do you have any? Do they operate differently in music to what they do in like writing something just for the page? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think there's. There are certain things that personally I feel that I just can't quite capture with words. And I think that sometimes I think that that's a second language problem. And the more my deal gets better, I realise that it 
may well be because there's definitely times where I'm like this is what I want to express and I can feel it and I know where it comes from but I don't have the right words for it and if I say it in English I sound really dumb <laughs> like I was having this conversation the other day about how when we tell our pūrako in English it'll be like and this kazipaikia like hones up the entire island and then he has like five wives and then he's like over here and then he moves down here and he has his kid and then this kid's like na 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 and then that kid goes over you know we tell it in this really awful but if you say that in, in like in Te Māori, it makes so much more sense, and it's like so much more, yeah, so, so much so much less like convoluted and soap soap opera. I don't know, but yeah, I think so. There's that part, especially because like quite often when I'm in a Māori context and I have to say something, I'll just play something instead of saying something because I'll be like, this is how I communicate here. And so I think in some ways it's the one advantage I've had of not having that language thing is that I've been like, okay, this is a language I can speak, is the music side of our language, which is equally as, actually equally as much of a language as, as te reo. Like, it's a, like te reo puro is, is te reo Māori as much as te reo Māori is. So there's definitely that. And then I think that sometimes you can use one strength to build the strength in something else. Like I was... Like the poems that go with the album I did aren't particularly strong poems, and I'm quite happy to say that. Like they're not particularly strong, but in the context of those pieces, they have a lot of strength because they have all that underneath, and they fit together. Yeah, yeah, and they don't need to be particularly coded. I think that you know, like they need to be this person is this person, and this is what happened. Like they don't need to be particularly flowery. I don't want anyone to like have to like decode this stuff I want it to be able to be like read consumed understood put into the picture of the whole yeah mm. um I hope this isn't disrespectful but that makes me think also like sorry this is terrible what I'm about to say but I keep thinking about pop music and I feel like um I have a friend who writes music and also writes poetry and she often says that a lyric needs to be caught a lot quicker than a poem you know like we need to say yeah 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 you know like and we need to sort of say she loves me rather than oh yes we met and blah 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 and I just wonder like I'm obsessed with pop music like I just I just am so obsessed with pop music like because I I heard it largely comes from this quote that I saw with Richard Powers who's a very good novelist who said that there's some music that you can grasp immediately but it has no longevity whereas there's other music that is harder to grasp but has longevity and I kind of really disagree with that but because I feel like so much pop music has meant so much to me. And I don't know, do you have any thoughts on pop music? I reckon pop music is like this weird form of time travel. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I think about this all the time. Like there's definitely a few songs that I can listen to and be like, oh, I'm, I'm 16 and I've just had my first major breakup and I've just moved out of home and everything's a bit crap right now. You know, it's really... It's this real like, kind of emotional time travel and it's like everything but what you're seeing in front of your eyes is from that time. And that's just one sense. It's really bizarre. Like, you know, like what you're hearing, what you're what you're sensing in that kind of like our way to a space and what yeah, what you're hearing, oh, it's just all there. I just really think of like pop music as time travel. Yeah, I love that idea. I, I, I definitely experience it that way myself. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I you know, I, as a teen, would hide the fact that I really liked certain types of pop music. You know, I hid my Madonna CDs behind 
my Smashing Pumpkins CDs. <laughs> and, you know, I really, as is quite well known, love Kylie Minogue. And recently I've been listening to her a lot. And, you know, her music means a lot to me. I think she's my ride or die. She is so beloved and she's carved out this career that has been built on kindness you know and she means a lot to a lot of people and I think a lot of her work will stand the test of time you know it, yes some of it's pretty fluffy sort of eight, late 80s sort of pop music but it's those those memories that people have you know with with her songs and with her career and, and how they've sort of moved with her as she's sort of grown as an artist it, that you can't you can't manufacture that you can't create that and, and sell that to people you know you, you, artists either have that or not and if, if they can sort of still have a career after gosh she's must be 35 ish years now you know that's that's amazing do you have any Kylie Minogue merch Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love the stuff she did with Nick Cave. I just think it's such a random thing to put those two together, but then they make something really awesome. It's that kind of like the dark and the light and the yeah. light and the dark sort of But Nick, Nick Cave could, you know, he's spoken about it a lot, about how he recognises her as, as, as an artist that represents a certain type of, I don't want to say purity, but, mm. you know, yeah, you, you could understand why he was drawn to her and oh yeah and, you know um saw something in her that he wanted to explore mm. yeah yeah my yeah my partner's super into kylie minogue and i feel like there's this kind of weird secret gay code music with kylie minogue as well like even for gay women it's just kind of like <laughs> i'm gonna rock up with my short hair blasting kylie minogue yep. and then be like hello <laughs> 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 it's real kind of funny occasionally i'm just like oh god we have such stereotypes what are we doing yeah. When I think of Kylie Minogue, I, I often and Madonna, I often think about singing along. Like, um, and I often think that singing along might have taught me how to read poetry in a way, if you know what I mean. And yeah, like, because I feel like I there's something about poetry that I wanna, um, I can't experience it fully if I'm not thinking about how it feels in my mouth and you know that kind of thing like the length of a line and you know that sort of thing and I wonder do you guys have any thoughts about singing along like because there's that weird thing where I can sometimes sing along but I could never sing it without the sing along like what is that weird kind of collaboration I don't know like my partner really doesn't like singing like he he and his well actually no his sisters really like going to karaoke so I know they like a good sing but like he doesn't like it when I sing along to stuff in the car so now I find myself deliberately going for drives my, by myself just so I can like <laughs> blast some songs and just and just sing along with them and that I mean that's just an, one part of sort of connecting with a song right and and being I guess yeah one with the song um and I yeah with poetry like I people often ask me you know hey how do you revise your work and you know I say well yeah you know getting up and reading out aloud is one really good way because you sort of see where you stumble with words and lines and things like that and you know I've also been telling people actually get other people to read it out for you and then you can actually hear how they interpret it and, and whether that's sort of what you're aiming for and it gives you a, a new perspective on, on something that you've written mm. and 
yeah, I, you know, I, I think maybe we haven't been encouraged enough to read poetry out loud, that it's always been something on a page and it exists on the page and you sort of break it down on the page. Whereas, you know, there's so much you can get out of it if you, if you actually read it out loud. And you're in the process, it, I hope it's okay, you're in the process of sort of collecting poetry in a book, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all done. It's just, I'm just kind of at that, we're reordering at the moment and sorting the cover and all the fun, the fun, but also like, oh my gosh, this is about me. I can't <laughs> cope. I can't like fob this off. Can't fob this one off to my ancestors. <laughs> like I actually have to do this. Yeah, yeah, they're at that stage at the moment. But yeah, the singing along thing, that's real interesting because when I was a kid, that was how I learned to sing harmonies, was harmonising with records. And like we would sit there for like, we had, when I was a kid, we had tape players because I lived in Dodemu, which is like, they still had party phone lines in 2000 and something. You know, it was it's pretty old school. So like I had a tape player with like those terrible country western, you remember those ads and it would be like, all of your favourite hits from all the countries, stand by your man. And then it would go on to the next one and be like, I love you tonight with all your favourite artists such as Johnny Parton. Like I had those and I would sit there, like I know the ads off my heart, it's so shame. But I would sit there and sing, like figure out, okay, this sounds, this is what this sounds like, and this is what this sounds like. And it was before I had words to say, like I'm singing a major third harmony, or I'm singing a, a, a fifth, or I'm singing a fifth below. Like I knew all those from figuring them out myself. So that was like always how I did singing along. And now, yeah, yeah. So that I, yeah, I love the singing along, and I love that with music. It's actually like when you buy the record, it can be a resource and a bottom layer. Like I love that kind of side of it and I always when I was teaching more I'd always encourage my students to play along with records they liked and be like there's two ways you can do this you can rip things off you can be like I like how they do that I'm going to copy that and I'm going to play it exactly or you can be like I like what they do that how can I respond in real time and like I definitely when I was younger would do that with poetry too like I'd read a line and be like that's a great first line and set myself like an excited of taking the first line and then writing something or writing like reading their line and then writing my line reading their line writing my line and then you know like it's real cool when you can see poems or songs or whatever it is as like a resource for creating something new and quite often you can never tell that that's where something like that would have come from you know like I don't do that I never I never do that now as like something I would write for something but it definitely taught me so much about how to write music how to add to music and how to write poetry from doing that yeah, yeah. because I think this is what I always find interesting is that um, is this idea of collaborating with someone I've never met before, you know, like the, this, this sort of sense that, um, you know, like because that is often, what I often do is that every novel has a song and that song is like a touchstone and I know if I'm, if the writing's going away from that touchstone, if you know what I mean, like it needs to sound a certain way. Yeah, like it's hard to explain. And and like, it's really interesting because often that might be a New Zealand artist and I might go somewhere and see them and I'll be like, oh, I've been listening to your song every day for eight hours a day, you know, and like, yeah, it's this weird kind of thing. Yeah, it's a really weird kind of thing. You've written, a, like, I think that you and I were at a place uh, where you wrote about, Kylie Minogue, eh? yeah, yeah. Is it? It's really hard to write about music. Am I yeah. right? Or people spend whole degrees on this, eh? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's people do like ethnomusicology or musicology degrees. Yeah. 
to get good at at doing this. There's like, oh, what is it? There's like, there's some really great quote that they say all the time, and I can kind of remember half of it in American accent, but I can't remember the second half. And it's like writing about music is like <laughs> dancing about architecture. Dancing about architecture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, and it's so true. It's like impossible, but I think you can get better at it. I think you can say this music makes me see or feel or hear this. Mm. You know, like that's actually how how to do it. I reckon because we were having a conversation before we've been on stage for that event about how if you, if it's something that you're really into, it is even harder because you a want to do it justice, but also for me, you know, that f- early draft of, of what I wrote was just filled with like, and in 1994, she released Confide <laughs> in Me, which went to number one in X, Y, Z. And it's like all of those sort of train spotting facts and the, the geekery. <laughs> and it's like, actually, you need to strip that away because not everyone's going to care, you know, what she was wearing on her album cover and who designed it. Um, but it, it is, it's, because music is such a subjective thing, you know, in terms of your response, it, it is, I guess, difficult to, to then translate that into words that then will you know convey it honestly and um in a way that you know people will get it yeah Yeah, i i try to explain (laughs) my my partner is always saying like oh every bloody song is your favorite song you know it's like (laughs) this is your favorite song to listen to on a summer road trip and this is my favorite all-time song to listen to like when it's raining outside on a wednesday (laughs) but it's like you know it's because i i associate certain songs with certain feelings and Mm. you know time periods and, and moments and it, it, I, I do struggle sometimes to explain that to him because he, I guess he doesn't really have that same connection you know with music he, he likes music and he listens to a lot of it and but it, it's it's just a different way of appreciating it for him mm. and I think you know that's that's the thing that I love about music as well is that everybody has this different way of relating to it and it's really exciting because I've sort of learnt different ways of relating to it. Like I, I am, I, I am the uh, your partner. You know, I find it difficult when my partner sings along um, when we're driving, <laughs> which is a terrible, terrible thing. And the reason I find it hard is that they often, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, improvise. So you know, like this, you know, like <laughs> not quite skidding. <laughs> yeah, the Adlers, and you know, often um, this will happen in um, wonderful things. And it's that interesting thing where, like, I. I want to be singing you see I'm worse I'm way worse because like I want to be singing but I don't do you know what I mean I want to be singing exactly what the words are coming out and you know and it is a really I just love it because like over the years I've thought exactly like what you're saying oh yeah you you like it this way and I like it this way and that's kind of cool you know and I was thinking with your noise, sorry to just go back to your sound, one of the things you're talking about is kind of that context thing you know I think both of you are talking about that you know like I was doing this at this time and the song and I wondered what would happen with your sound if it was removed from all context do you know what I mean like if it was I just said oh here's a sound I'm just wondering what do you have any thoughts on that it, it would be interesting to to see whether anyone would recognize it When I listen back to that sound, you can kind of break it down into all sorts of different components. Like there's the water, so you know immediately you might think, oh, maybe this was recorded outside. And then you've got that that rice hitting the the pot, and it's quite metallic and percussive, and that sort of contradicts the water sound. And then you've got the swishing around and the the draining. So yeah, it'd be interesting to to sort of see whether people could figure out what it is without being told what it is, mm-hmm. and. I don't know, maybe I am too close to it that I know 
obviously I've recorded it and you know I know exactly what it is but all of those feelings that I sort of talked about in those memories are so tied up into that mm-hmm. act of washing the rice and all those different sort of sounds and senses that go with it. And, and it's so interesting you're saying about those components because those components might have different memories as well. You know what I mean? Like water, you know, like what do, you know, when you think about how important water is in Te Māori. Oh, so massive, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get into a water debate with some dickhead online once a week. I don't know. Sometimes it gets to Thursday and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> no I haven't had a water debate. Oh, there it is. Hello, Gary. Hello, Gary from Timaru. Is Gary the I always say I have this saying, and it and it's kind of like I'd be like, you know, sometimes when I, when I'm really upset about things that people have said about me or like things that people are saying about Te Māori, I'd be like, come on, Ruby, Gary from Timaru isn't crying about you. That's <laughs> <laughs> like it's really bad. And one day Gary from Timaru will be a real person, and he'll flick me a message and be like, I am Gary from Timaru. You need to stop using this. Um, I was sort of thinking about context around um you know, around some of the, you know, like because the sounds on Pornicki are so place orientated, mm. how does it feel to either perform those out of town or to, yeah, to take them on a, a bit of a tour? Like what does that feel like? I didn't have a release gig because of COVID and also just because organising that just made me feel so fucking stressed I wanted to not. <laughs> But then the other night I did an artist talk at Pyramid Club and I decided to do four tracks live and I basically just played the album and then did extra layers over the top with live stuff. And it was really strange to have them not in the context to an extent, but it was also really nice because it felt like kind of like bringing those places into a room and just how powerful that kind of was. And a lot of people, like I've done... Tangapuro for people's like tamako, like I did it for a friend's mataora earlier this year, and I've done it for tangi and things like that. And when you're in it and doing it, like you know it's really special, but you've also got that like, little part of you that it's like in this moment I am doing a job and I need to be like this kind of po, like a like a like a support, a, like a solid thing to do this job. Like it's not like you don't get to experience it to the same extent, or um, you experience it on quite a different plane. But yeah, for me in that space, it felt very like experiencing what that was like, bringing those sounds and getting to just kind of observe it. Because yeah, because all of that stuff we do is kind of that kind of sound place travel kind of thing, you know? Like there's a real interesting thing with like Taungapuro and how it can take people out of certain environments and back into certain places. And yeah, it was really cool to have that. I think it's also... It was quite cool in lockdown, finishing off working on it. My um, One of my mentors and like super good mate, Al Fraser, did the mixing of it. And he was saying that it was really nice just listening to it kind of each day and being like, oh man, it really sounds like those places and this is really good work to be doing during lockdown because I feel like I'm not kind of stuck in this place. Like I'm moving around and yeah, yeah. And I think... Um like, so now we've found out that it can time travel and space travel. I am basically a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sound witch. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, this excites me because I do I do really believe it. Like, you know, like when um, sound feels like this other dimensional thing that goes over the top of places, you know, like, I mean, you know, you can put on a song in your house and the dishes feel different or the, you know, and I think that that is quite incredible. And, um, and I think it is like, 
I'm wondering, you know, like lockdown, music was one of the things that I could have in lockdown. I don't know. Like, did you have a particular relationship to music during lockdown, Chris? Yeah, or? I mean, I guess, you know, a lot of artists delayed, you know, the release of their new albums because they felt it's not the time to be releasing new work or it's not the time to be trying to, to promote and push something. But those who did, I think, really benefited from people just wanting something available to them. Like these days, you don't have to go to a music store to buy a CD. You know, you can actually just stream it or download it online. So as an art form, it's, it's actually really easy to get a hold of. Um, and yeah, I definitely appreciated, you know, having that to fill the, the hours and, and the days and the weeks because it just meant that I wasn't just sitting at home not doing anything, you know. I could actually put on some music and, you know. And I found it such an amazing escape as well. Like when that Fiona Apple album came out and it was just, it felt like, I mean, it felt really I don't know whether I was laying on the situation or whether it was speaking to the sort of the anger and the rage and the terror. Um, but I think it was really interesting. And the other thing was those amazing live gigs that was sort of, you know, we would we sat one night and just watched amazing artists sort of stream through melted ice cream. Like we were just watching it on TV and it was just so amazing. Like, again, it was that strange place thing. I don't know. Super strange, eh? The funny thing about that Fiona Apple album is you were posting about it. Simon Sweetman, who also lives in our street, was posting about it. I had to listen to it because of that and someone else on our street was so I'm like this is real funny because right now there's like line beings and line beings and like there's this like phasing of this album being played on the street that made me quite happy and that weird thing where I felt like it was some weird connection as well because like it was um you know like I would that weird obviously you know sorry to, it's so boring everybody's talking about but you know that thing where You're I would not allowed see to apologize anymore for okay the rest of the hour. all right I will try um <laughs> but you know I would see Simon in the street and we'd have to go whoop and like you know cross the road whereas like it was that great thing where it was like oh yeah like we're also having this conversation about John Cage and we're also you know like you also you know got me onto this amazing video and yeah so it was kind of cool it was really really great the, the sound and over lockdown was funny because I was working on the album. I often didn't want to listen to anything yeah. outside of it. And also I find I find listening to music sometimes really hard because my brain overanalyzes absolutely every detail now. So I can't listen to music when I'm going to sleep because my brain will be like, mm, now we're going to shift here. Now this is going to happen. I think that they will do this. What production is being done over here? Like my brain just cannot do it unless it's a cer very certain things. So, like, I didn't listen to a lot, but afterwards, like, after, like, Lahui was over, I just had, like, a massive phase of I went to the CD store and I just bought heaps of stuff and really enjoyed, like, being able to, like, blast music and almost cleanse the house by just being, like, I'm going to blast this album and, you know, then I can leave. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. real good. Yeah. That's so good. Um, Chris, I... This, this sounds like such a dumb question. I'm always scared. Um... What do you think is the connection, like I was talking to Nick Ascroft about this as well, like do you think there's a connection between liking music and you writing poetry? Like do you think, yeah, do you have anything to say about, is that just two separate things about you, you know, that you like music and you also write poetry or is there some kind of, um, I don't know, bridge between the two or, you know, conversation between the two? When, when I was a teenager, before I started writing poetry, I would 
obsess over lyrics and I would actually print lyrics out and put them up on my wall. So I think from a very early stage, I was very interested in the words themselves. I think about this, the lyrics that I stuck up on the wall, I don't know why. <laughs> like jewel songs and <laughs> very angsty Alana songs. But, you know, I I don't think you have to, like, I don't think there's a, a connection necessarily. But, you know, obviously the, the tools that we have as poets and the techniques that we use are very closely aligned with what musicians and songwriters would use. So I think there is uh, some transference of interests and skills and um, techniques. Because it is interesting, because Nick is a really big music fan. Like, he and I actually used to work together, and we would swap CDs, you know? I would just swing around and give him a CD, he'd give me one as well. And there are a lot of poets these days who do talk a lot about their influences, and a lot of those are musicians and songwriters. So I think there is definitely a connection, but I wouldn't necessarily say that you you have to like music to be a poet or vice versa. But I think, um, yeah, I think there's definitely some shared shared blood. Like genres that have kind of lyrics over kind of music and thinking of music as a purest form here of like being something without words. I guess pure isn't the right word there, but I'm going to use it for now. I think that almost like music that does have words and you know sound is almost like a marriage of poetry and music in a way and it's and it's that thing too of like if one part they neither part has to be like a complete thing without the other so like if you read just lyrics sometimes like I'm thinking of lyrics I had on my wall and it was like some Patti Smith ones and if you read them out loud now it's like pissing in a river and watching it rise like that would never you know what I mean? But as soon as you hear her sing that with like the dum 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 you're like, oh, it makes so much sense now. This is so, so gangster. I'm so into it. And I think that, yeah, it's that duality thing, almost like a way to a thing of like, this is this part of the marriage and this is part of this part, making that product, making that that child, making that that me not me thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I really, um, yeah, I had Frankie Goes to Hollywood all over my walls. I was, that was a huge um, queer moment for me. Like, I was just like, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, um, up until then, I think I'd been listening to a lot of um, Guns N' Roses and Bruce Springsteen and that kind of thing. And like, I was interested in that real sort of hyper-masculinity. And then I remember, yeah, like, I think it was, Frankie Goes to Hollywood was a, an extreme identity building thing for me rather than a, um, yeah, I think, but I love the music as well. And and that sort of born to run crossover, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I, I don't I mean, know. There's a lot of imagery in Springsteen's lyrics, especially, yeah, you know, that 80s period when he's writing about America and the different people that inhabit it. I mean, there, it is poetry to me. Have you guys seen that movie about Springsteen? I feel like we should all watch it together. I don't know, that's weird because now you feel like you have to say yes. But it's like about this Indian boy grew up in Indian family who've, who were first generation immigrants to the to the UK. And we watched it during, I think, lockdown. My partner's like, this is going to be great. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. But it was actually really lovely and it's got him and his friend get really into Springsteen. It's like how they see everything through his his lyrics and how they understand all of the conflict around them is through this and how they end up yeah and it's based on a true story it's it's quite beautiful it's fluffy 
but it's really beautiful and just like seeing how teenagers will pick one person instead of like realizing like you can like many things and build <laughs> and build an identity you know i was like jack white is like my tohunga and i will worship everything he does you know it's like real funny how they pick one person and like this is how i understand the world it's yeah, very good because I think that's again interesting with that sort of time and space travel like I mean you know I um, I have heritage in America and like I didn't know what to do with that growing up in you know like um, Ōrake and Gleninus and Tamaki you know I didn't know what to do with that and I think that um, you know born in the USA you know like suddenly I was like oh this is a this is a way of experiencing America you know like this is a way of um, yeah, and that weird thing, how I think it started to build this strange little America in our funny little house, you know, like, it, um, yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, I have a, I have a lot of time for Springsteen. I was listening to something the other day, I can't even remember what it was, and yeah, I just started crying, and I was just like, oh, man, what a freaky thing, freaky thing. Um, I was wondering, so this is a question that I asked, um, I, I'm sort of asking it a lot because I think it is one of the um, things that I'm really interested in and both of you have kind of touched on it and I'm wondering when I listen to music I get really jealous of the fact that there is that second you know like there's the thing you're talking about you know like there's a way there's like this um, um, yeah and maybe some kind of almost shortcut to emotions and that kind of thing do you think there's anything we can do in writing to mimic that? Or, you know, I'm talking like on the page kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I think around rhyme and rhythm and that sort of thing. But do you have any thoughts on that? Or should we be trying to do that? That's the other thing I was thinking, you know, like, should I let, you know, should that stuff stand, you know, be proud of what it is yeah. as well? Like we don't have to have everything, that kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Recently we did a... We were meant to just be doing kind of like a little hui, little whakatau thing with Joy Harjo. And then, oh. yeah, and then the hui te awe kōtoku was there. And she was like, nah, this is going to be a porphyry because um, karanga is the, she's like, it's the poetry of woman. And then I was just like, my mind, it's the poetry of woman. And, you know, that's, for me, that's like a huge thing. And recently I've been asked to do karanga and stuff. And I've, I've had a big kind of, internal crisis about it and then called a few cousins who will just like slap me around the head and were like stop being a dick just do it you'll be fine and I was like oh, yeah okay I'll be fine but um yeah it's that thing of it's like it's a it's tune it's like a breath it's like based around the breath it's based around this like method of pulling like tiaho tapu like the sacred thread through your body and like reciting through that like you know it's like for me I was like oh wow maybe this is another place like maybe this is the closest place where these two things are together instead of it being you can't see what I'm doing but I've got one hand above my head and I'm moving it in a circle and I've got one hand below like probably like where my sternum is and I'm moving it in a circle and they're both going at the same time and getting slowly closer together you know it's like they're kind of things that aren't quite touching but they're mm. moving at the same time and there's a space between them yeah so it's kind of like that I guess Man, yeah, that blows my mind. And I'm also yeah, thinking... Yeah, my mind too. It's yeah. Like, oh. like that, um, yeah, sorry, that's just blown my mind. Chris? <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with, you know, poetry shouldn't have to do everything. And I think that's why I love music so much in a different way is that, you know, you hear one note or one 
bar of you know the intro of a song and you're instantly taken somewhere whether it's somewhere you've been or it, it's sort of you, you you resonate with it on a on a very particular level i think poetry can do that but i think it does it in a very different way you know through the layering of meaning and uh, imagery and sounds and how all of that sort of interacts together like i, I think of robin's dancing on my own and just that you know instantly within one second like I am in a nightclub I am dancing on my own I am you know sad because no no one's returning my attention and I, I I've never had that sort of response like reading the first line of a poem or at least not to that extent yeah is it is this too much to say maybe it is because I was just thinking that interesting thing where music does it and tells you that sorry this is gonna sound wrong but like music tells you how to feel like it's like bump whereas with poetry there's this great ambiguity often in it you know which I think is often the engine do you know what I mean like it's you know those wonderful lines where you think I love that term bittersweet you know like where you read it and you think oh I feel so happy and I also feel terrible and I know music can do that but I just wonder if that's something that poetry can do I don't know I I've found recently that I've been walking a very fine line when it when it comes to writing some of my newer stuff because I am writing about racism and white supremacy and I don't want it to come across as preachy and it's all your fault, you know, we're all fucked up. But but that's the feeling I want to convey, but I also, you know, it, it I also don't want it to be like oh no, we might as well give up, yeah. um, and it's that it's that balancing act. You have to invite people in before you can talk to them. Yeah, kind of exactly. Logic. And yeah. I think that you know, I've you know in the past used humour to try and, and do that. You know, you sort of like soften them a bit, and then like boom, yeah. <laughs> ha! Yeah. You can't see, but everybody is just nodding profusely. Yeah. Everyone's just like duff, 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 nod, 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 nod. So yeah, I, you know, I like how people poets use humour to sort of invite people in, and then and then deliver the the hard stuff and. I, I've sort of been looking at some of what I've been writing recently. I think, oh, you know, it's it's all very, very serious, and I I need to bring some levity and joy to it. But then I think, well, actually, do I? <laughs> like, mm. This is a pretty serious topic. Maybe yeah. I this time round, I just sad yeah. as it is, and 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 you know, confront people and and make them confront it. There's a pressure too when you're from a minority group. Like the word I'll use here wouldn't necessarily pertain to you but there's a pressure for us to be like the smiling native and like you know we've yep. got to be kind of a little bit kind of like we will educate you and be happy and occasionally we'll say you've done something really awful but we're still going to be happy and funny about it and sing a little song you know it's like sometimes it's real nice just to be like this is how it is it isn't nice and I'm sorry but that's how it is you know yeah, especially like, when you still get people you know coming out and saying right there is no racism in New Zealand you know, oh, that's, that's oh, not a problem oh, we have it's like yeah. well if you were in my shoes and looking through the through through my eyes you yeah. would see it yeah I've had that recently talking about friends about racism and they'll be like I can't believe that that happened to you and it's like bro that's just a Wednesday yeah. <laughs> like you know what yeah. I mean it's like there's not even like a big defining event that's just like one day yeah. you know they'll, or they'll see how something happens and just be like what and it is so interesting, eh? Because like this thing you're talking, like I, 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 I really like didactic work. Like I really, I 
yeah, I love the rant. I love the, you know, like I, I find I find that really interesting. And I was just thinking that idea of singing a pretty song. You know, like you can imagine that if this was a song you were writing, you could put it in a pop song and everyone would go, oh, you know, like that would be the levity. And it's interesting to think about humour acting as that, you know, and, um, you know, that, that I, I guess, oh God, now I'm going to talk about Nanette, but, you know, that thing where you give people the release, you know, like you're like, you know, this sucks, da, 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 da. But also, you know, and I found myself doing that, you know, like I think even in um, that last thing I wrote, you know, I'm like, you know, rape, haha, you know, and not in a, yeah, that makes it sound terrible, like I'm being making light of it, but I felt this need to let people off the hook, you know, yeah. which I think is often what we might do with sound. Like I think, you know, even like rhyme, 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 no rhyme or something like that, I don't know. It's interesting, eh? I've I just recently did this residency at the Pyramid Club doing a repeat of a experiment called the Lock Room Experiment, which is a sculpture experiment in the 1960s, where you're basically locked in a room all day, you create, in this case it's music, but back then it was sculpture, and then at the end of the day, like I deleted all my work, no one was allowed to listen to it, like it was really interesting. And one of the things I kind of realised, oh yeah, not allowed to talk about it during the time, and kind of ever, but you can talk about what you got from it. So one thing I really realise is this pressure we have to make a nice sound all the time. Mm. And it's the same kind of with poetry. Like, you wouldn't really... It would be weird to write a poem at the start of the line and be like, my cat died. You know, like, if I read like that and then the next line was like, it made me sad in a poem, I'd probably put it down. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. really awful. But, but we have this pressure in music to make a beautiful sound that makes sense. And within that space... I was kind of like, oh, I actually don't have to make a beautiful sound that makes sense and I can widen the scope of human emotion and sometimes the scope of human emotion is really direct and really like this is all I have in this moment to express and maybe that's the beauty of it. Like it's not all through this veil of kind of polite detachment. Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting. I think women especially have this thing where it's like, anything we've done historically has been considered to be dramatic if it's outside of a certain realm of <laughs> expression. It's really funny, you know, it's like, well, it's kind of true. It's like, it's hilarious. I think of the film Hysteria right now, but you know, that, that kind of thing. So like you see a lot of female musicians when they improvise or things like that, there's this kind of like, oh yeah, everything's gonna be inside. I'm thinking of a Jenga's context. Like there's, you see like young women do that quite a lot. Because if they do anything outside, maybe people will be like, oh, they're doing that because they don't know what they're doing instead mm. of they're doing that because they know what they're doing so well that they know they can save themselves. Mm. Yeah, you know, so it's like the pressure to make a nice sound or to write something nice is real interesting. Once you realise, I think, that that's just one kind of strand of the human emotion, which is what you're really working with, you know, you can open up so much more and you can yeah. thread the nice with the not nice and do all that kind of, yeah. I don't know if either of you have listened to Charlie XCX's no. Um, lockdown album it, I mean she has sort of moved from actually no she's sort of always used quite harsh sort of dissonant sounds in her music but she's always been classed as a pop musician mm -hmm. but like the new album just like uses some of the harshest synthesizers and like really it sounds like she's thrown a whole lot of stuff you know into a wood chipper and recorded mm -hmm. that and then built a awesome. dancey pop song around it and it's amazing and it's, yeah it's the sort of you know, she's a young female pop star. She has to sound a certain way. Yeah. But it's like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think there's a thing too where 
like outside of pop music because I have friends who've done down the pop track and there is a lot of pressure for them to look and act a certain yeah. way and when you realize like okay I'm I'm a five five foot two dumpy little wah and that ain't gonna happen for me I can actually do whatever I want because it's not gonna matter anyway yeah. and there's this real nice point where you can be like I can make something that sounds really you know like you can do all this and I think yeah it's real interesting that space because I was just like when you were saying it I was thinking that you know it's it 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 just expands, like, I was thinking, yeah, so many other gender minorities, you know, like, if you're, you know, like, you know, don't be too extravagant, don't be too this, don't be too masculine, don't be too, yeah, don't be too feminine, don't be too, you know, like, and I just think it's such a, yeah, it's such an interesting idea, and this thing, you're, you know, both of you are talking about, like, the uncomfortable noise, there's that weird thing, isn't there, like, the first time you hear it, it's uncomfortable, um, oh, I always think about that Rites of Spring story. You know how they, they played the symphony and everyone rioted and then they played it a year later and everyone was fine with it, kind of? And I, I just think there's something interesting about sort of breaking ground. And I guess both of you are kind of in that breaking... Would you can... Do you, I don't know, God, well, I, maybe I, that's overplaying it. I, I really don't like conflict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, that, that sort of holds <laughs> me back a bit when, I, when it comes to my writing and, you know wanting to write about these really, you know, pertinent contemporary topics and well, they're not even, you know, <laughs> historical really. Yeah. Um, but I am afraid of conflict and I'm, I'm afraid of pissing people off. But, uh, you know, I, I, that's something I need to figure out myself. It's, it's that whole sort of being grateful and, you know, you're in the position you are because, you know, certain people have supported you. Or, but it's like, well, actually, I need to use this position for good and that might mean having to say some pretty blunt things because I see people on you know Twitter other you know Chinese writers and artists and you know the amount of hate they get and you know that it's it's enough to put you off Mm. you know wanting to Mm. be that vocal and and that Mm. yeah there's kind of an assumption too that if you're in a minority group, all of your work is political. Yeah. Like, I reckon I could, like, literally write a poem about a cat and they'd be like, oh, my God. This what is does the cat about. mean? You know what I mean? Like, people would, <laughs> and pe- you know, it's real interesting and people just assume that everything is political. And in a way it is because you can't, like, to exist as Māori in this country right now is pretty much political because if you want to bring in any of your, you know, matauraka tūpuna, you kind of have to... It's political, like it's Matariki right now, but I'm not on holiday. And if mm. I chose to do that, that would be political. Like to exist is to be political. But it's, yeah, it's this weird assumption that everything we do coming from a certain space is activist work as well. It's, yeah. And there's that thing that I see time and time again where I see people who are closest to the mainstream acting politically, but it's seen as just normal. You know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? And like, it's that weird thing where I think that the further. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like the further away we are, it's seen as one thing when, you know, like I, I, I've seen a few people who are able to say, oh, I don't write politically. And you think, well, maintaining the white straight male as the centre of the universe, that's actually quite a political move. People who say that, like, I just really don't, politics doesn't affect me and I don't really care. <laughs> like that just, whenever someone says that, I'm like, I have mentally wiped you. It's really bad. It's like one of, like, usually I'm one of those people and I can see the good in everybody, but when people say that and I'm like, oh, but have you thought about, you know, how if your life is okay, you vote for people who 
aren't doing okay or you vote from a position you've known from your past you know you do all these things that you were capable of being your past and your future and a person and voting for those people even if you can't have the empathy to vote for others <laughs> which is probably harsh um but you know like when they're like oh, it just doesn't affect me I'm just like that's it I can't I can't be with you anymore I'm sorry I'm sorry mentally <laughs> mentally bye, bye. <laughs> my gosh wow how did we get here Amazing. We did great. We've solved all the problems of the world. and Just between the three of us. It's amazing. Um, I was doing this thing just to finish everybody off, and you do not have to do it. But um, I've just been asking everyone what the last thing they listened to was. Um, I looked at my Spotify, and it was, I just listened to, speaking of listening to dodgy stuff um, politically, I was listening to Modest Mouse, Blame It on the Tetones, which, yeah, like, horrible people making music but um yeah well and yeah I think there's some yeah I don't know there's some dodginess but yeah yeah look into that (laughs) that's such an interesting discussion too (laughs) horrible people people making nice things me and Simon Sweetman had a yarn about this recently and it was really like so hard (laughs) and it feels like music is hit with it even harder than everything else like it just especially at the moment my god yeah Yeah. oh I've just been following this Facebook group chat about um how the MTV Michael Jackson Vanguard Award is named after Michael Jackson and people are saying maybe it should be named after someone else. Yeah, it's... We don't have to solve that. I just realised we don't. But do you know what the last thing you listened to was? Was it anything you were singing along to on the way over here? Yep, in the car, right on the way here, I was um, singing along to Bizarre Love Triangle. I feel like you're going to have to edit out all my cute noises I make whenever you say something that's <laughs> that I'm like, that's so awesome, I go... <laughs> this little auntie crew just like you go Chris that makes me really happy I can just picture that and that's so nice what about you were you rocking out to anything um, on the way I had a rehearsal I'm working on um, we're developing some material at the moment me um, Ariana T. Kyle Alice Fraser and Phil Boniface so I was listening to that I had a rehearsal all day yesterday and all day the day before so I guess that's the last thing I listened to I find it real hard to come home from music work and listen to music because my brain's just gets really angry (laughs) but yeah but something I have been listening to a lot is this label called Noah Records and so it's kind of I can't remember how the guy who runs it's a guy called Wi-Fi Larson and um, Al and Ricky Gooch are about to have an album come out on there and it's just fantastic it's kind of all these Maori and Pacifica like free 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 improv musicians and and songwriters and like really amazingly produced stuff inspired by kind of like all these different things from Māori and Pacifica pop music history or like music history and ah oh, it's just fantastic I've had their stuff on kind of all the time there's an album that came out over lockdown that's got a real kind of Aussie Bisa kind of feel but it's very Māori and Pacifica and but it's the kind of thing where anyone comes upstairs and I'm listening to it they're like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like I'm living my best life but yeah so Noor Records it's been a huge thing yeah oh man that's so exciting um Thank you both so much. Thank this you, has Pip. just been so great. Thank My you. God, this is lovely. like this is like this little dream I had, and it's just coming up awesome. So yeah, thank you both so much. Thanks, Pip. Okay, and now an exercise. Um, I have taken inspiration for this exercise from Ruby's process um, 
for creating her album Poor Nikki. Um, so what I'm thinking is that this is an exercise where you compose in situ. So what I thought is that you could take your recorder um, and don't forget your phone is a very good recorder and take it to a noisy place. Um, you may like to go outside, um, you may like to go to a room in your house which is noisy, you may like to take a ride on a vehicle which is noisy, however you choose to do it. Just find a noisy place and then turn on your recorder and respond to the sounds around you in spoken words. So um, the words that you speak, this composition that you make, um, it might take the form of a conversation with the noises in the environment you're in or the noises um, may begin to form some sort of backing track to your words, um, some kind of rhythmic inspiration to the words that you speak. So um, as I have been explaining, um, what I hope is that at the end of the season we'll be able to put together a showcase of some of these exercises and you may be willing to send us your exercises. Um, if you are, there's information on our website um, explaining how to send those um, those um, responses to the exercises and our website is better-red.com. You can also email me at betterrednz at gmail.com. So that's better, R-E-A-D-N-Z at gmail.com. Oh, can you hear that? There's a plane going overhead. So I am now composing to the backtrack of a plane. So yeah, it'll be great to hear some of your responses um, and it'll be great to put together a showcase of them and yeah anyway if you've got any questions just contact me either through the comments um, on our website you can email me at that email address or um, I'm pretty easy to get hold of on Twitter as well so thanks heaps have a really lovely day <laughs>